0: Welcome to From the Front Porch, a conversational podcast about books, small business, and life in the South. Lydia is dead, but they don't know this yet. 1977, May 3rd, 6.30 in the morning, No one knows anything but this innocuous fact. Lydia is late for breakfast. Celeste Ng, Everything I Never Told You. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia, and today I'm helping folks navigate their literary conundrums and issues in an episode of Literary Therapy. If you're a new listener of From the Front Porch, we started this series on the podcast last year, and it's been so fun to every so often channel my inner Fraser Crane. If you're interested in having your own literary issues examined and explained, I'd love for you to leave us a voicemail. You can go to fromthefrontporchpodcast.com forward slash contact, and if you scroll down, you'll see a space where you can leave your voicemails for us. We'll also include a link in the show notes in case that's easier for you. We received a lot of voicemails for this particular episode, so if you submitted a voicemail, thank you. I saved a few to answer the next round, so if you don't hear your voicemail today, chances are you will hear it on an upcoming episode. Okay, without further ado, let's launch in to your literary conundrums.
1: Hi, Annie. It's Joanne from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. How can I respond? respond positively to any book suggestion and not immediately dismiss it for one reason or another.
0: Hi, Joanne. This is a great question and a good problem to have. We live in a time where we can get pretty much whatever book recommendations we want at any point in time, and it sounds like you've surrounded yourself with bookish people who probably are offering you all kinds of books all the time. The problem with this is, of course, decision fatigue. And if you're the kind of reader who knows yourself really well, you know what kinds of books you're looking for. And I think that's okay. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Your question actually reminds me of the Mrs. Manners columns that you'll sometimes see in newspapers or in magazines. It's still one of my favorite sections to read in my Real Simple magazine. I just love listening to people's I don't know, mannerly issues. And I think yours actually falls under that category because it sounds like, again, you're a reader who knows what she's looking for. And sometimes there are books recommended to you that you don't want to read. I think that's okay. But I think this is really a question of manners and politeness. So I think it's really simple to just say thank you, right, for any recommendation you receive. Because It's an act of generosity of the other person. I think that's the assumption I would make anyway, right? If somebody is recommending a book to you, it's because they think either you're going to like it, or maybe they think you're at a place in your life where you need it, or they think you're interested in bettering yourself or improving yourself. And so I think you can take book recommendations just as an act of generosity and just say, thank you so much for this book recommendation. I'll look into it doesn't mean you have to read it, doesn't mean you have to check it out from the library or buy it from your local bookstore. Instead, it's just, thank you. I'm going to look into this. And maybe they'll follow up and that might be the issue you're actually wondering about. Like, what happens when somebody follows up? They've recommended a book to me and I've never read it. And this happens to me a lot because customers will recommend books to me, which never stop. I love all your recommendations. But sometimes I just don't have time. And If they check back in, I simply say that, you know, I haven't had time to get to that one yet, but I so appreciated your recommendation and I've added it to my list. Or I looked that one up and I knew I didn't have time to read it right now, but I might pursue it in the future. Or, you know, I looked at that one and I was intrigued, but it didn't strike my fancy right now. I think that's the answer I would give. And maybe that's not Maybe that's not blunt enough, but again, I just think when people are offering book recommendations, it's coming from a place of genuine kindness, at least that's been my experience, or genuine excitement. Like they have a book they desperately want to share with you, and they don't know that maybe you don't have time to read that right now, or maybe there's a, a sensitivity point or a trigger point in that book that you can't read right now, and they don't know that. And so I think the simple answer is the best one, right? This is often the way. I think my mom, I just have my mom's voice in my ear, like, just say thank you. Just thank you so much for that recommendation. Thanks for thinking of me. I'll look into it. And then if they check back with you, I think you can be even more honest and again, maybe say, oh, I just didn't have time or that one's not really what I'm interested in right now, but I still really appreciate it. I think that's, to me, the best Solution because I want to keep receiving book recommendations. And Joanne, I'm sure you're an avid reader and you probably want them too. But you may just not have time or interest in the books that are getting recommended to you all the time. I'd encourage you to, there are a couple of questions I put at the end that are kind of sort of related to the question you're asking. And I'll answer those two questions at the end. And those answers or that answer might apply to your dilemma as well. So stick around for the last question as well. Okay, next up. Hi Annie, my name is Sam. I'm calling from Michigan. I'm a long-time listener. I love your podcast and your personal and professional Instagram accounts. I find myself struggling with long chapters and, you know, being a mom of a young toddler and also working full-time juggling all that is life, of course. It's something that tends to deter me from reading certain books I'm curious if you have any tips on that. Thank you. Hi, Sam. Me too. This is a conundrum I also find myself having, particularly during these pandemical times. I also am very drawn towards short chapters, books that feel like I'm accomplishing something, which I think we've talked about this on the podcast before. I'm not sure what that says about me. I don't know that it's really a great aspect of my personality. It sounds like you quite simply are just really busy and you've got a lot on your plate. And so a book with maybe longer sections rather than short chapter divisions is going to be hard for you to navigate right now. And I think that's okay. I think reading is often very, Very seasonal, and you may be a season in your life right now where shorter chapters are just the name of the game. So, first of all, I have some recommendations for books with short chapters. For a lot of my new mom friends, and actually, this was recommended to me by a new mom friend. My friend Callie long ago recommended the books put out by the moth. There are two, you'll hear me recommend them all the time, I think, on the podcast and on Patreon. We talk about this a lot. The first is All These Wonders and the second is Occasional Magic. The reason my friend recommended these is because the chapters are really short, and yet you're getting kind of a full story. So they're almost like essay collections and almost like reading the moth podcast. (laughs) They're like reading the podcast in book form. So I think those are a great go-to. I also think a lot of thrillers and mysteries and suspense novels stick with this short chapter format, I think because they know it is propulsively readable. You'll hear me talk about Lisa Cross Smith later in this episode, but I think she's an example of an author who also employs and utilizes short chapters. I think books that tend to be, and maybe this is an overgeneralization, but books that are plot-driven, I think tend to have shorter chapters. Books that are character-driven tend to have longer sections. At least that is how I feel in my reading life. So those are just some recommendations for books with short chapters or types of books with short chapters. I don't think there's anything wrong with right now in this season in your life, reading books with short chapters, because the important thing is for you to not lose your reading rhythm, right? You're a new mom. It sounds like you have young kids. And so I think the important thing is for you not to lose your pace of reading. It's important for you to maintain this habit. And so I think short chapters are great. Now, if you're like me and you are drawn to character-driven stories or books that tend to have sections instead of chapters, I find this a lot in literary fiction, then I've got some tips. So I very much (laughs) fall into this category of someone who prefers short chapters, but a lot of the books that I tend to read have long chapters, and I will even— If I'm reading and I am like, wait, why hasn't this chapter ended? I will like flip ahead to see, okay, can I finish this or do I need to find another stopping point? I gauge my expectations because, and it sounds like you might be the same way, Sam, I'm reading and I probably don't have a ton of time. And so I need to know, can I get to a stopping point quickly here? So, what I've noticed, I just recently finished the book Liberty by Caitlin Greenidge. I adore this book, I think it is outstanding. It has very long sections instead of short chapters. However, what I noticed about the book is that within those long sections, there are breaks. And sometimes in books, they're literal lines like that you can see, or it's just like extra margins or extra spacing. And so I will kind of in my head count that as a chapter. Like if I can just get to this little section break, then I can put this book down. And typically the author has created, unless you're reading some kind of stream of consciousness work, like the author has created kind of a pause in the narrative in those little breaks. They're there for a reason. So your book might not have short chapters, but it does have kind of places to pause. And I think that's really the point, right? even books with short chapters, what I find happens is I'm reading and it's propulsively readable and compulsively readable. So I just keep going. What's great, if we want to flip that, is a book with sections gives you space to set it down for a second. So I find, again, these books tend to maybe be quieter quieter or more character-driven. And so they have built in Moments for you to rest and moments for you to pause. So instead of reading whole sections at a time, what I might do is just look ahead and flip ahead until I see the next little section, like the next little marker so the next little pause, and I wait to read or I'll read up into that point. So I won't read or bite off the entire section. Instead, I will kind of look at the section and see where the pauses are. So that's one recommendation. Another book that did this recently that I really loved, and I love Liberty, like both of these books are four to five stars for me, was the Katherine Haney book Early Morning Riser. This book was divided up into years. And so each section was a different year. And so I did kind of flip ahead and see, okay, do I have time to read this entire year? And I did. Like this was a Sunday afternoon. I don't have kids. I didn't have anything to do. And so I could get to the deck. Like that was kind of my marker. It's almost like running a race or swimming or something. fill in your exercise metaphor of choice, it's it's kind of getting to the next landmark, right? Getting to the next mileage marker, like if you're, you're on a road trip, getting to the next gas station. And so I knew if I could just get to the end of the section, I could pause and take a breather with this particular book, that was doable. With Liberty, it wasn't. I was reading Liberty in the evenings, and so my time was shorter than just reading it in one fell swoop on a Sunday afternoon. So for Liberty, I employed the pause method, like finding my own mile markers per se. And then with the Catherine Haney book, I looked and kind of evaluated, can I read this whole section? And on that particular occasion, I could. So I'd encourage you to kind of look at books and If you're only in the mood for short chapters, or if you just know that's the best thing for your reading life right now, only read books with short chapters. That's okay. If you are willing or able to read books with longer sections, divide it up yourself. Know, okay, I'm going to read up until this marker. And I think sometimes that's even more helpful. We're going to talk about reading within time limits. But sometimes if you're like me, you'll read for 10 minutes and you'll be like smack dab in the middle of a chapter or something. And that's not helpful. But if you're Telling yourself, okay, I'm going to read until this pause in the narrative. That can kind of help you pick up a, a book and put it down more easily. I hope that helps, Sam. Your problem and mine are very similar. So hopefully these little tricks were helpful for you.
1: Hey, Annie. This is Andrea from South Carolina, and I have a literary conundrum. I really like to read light, fluff books, but I also know I want to and need to read books on things like racism and spiritual formation and personal development. But after just a page or two, I start to shut down, sometimes due to like depression or anxiety or just like general overwhelm of the topic. How do I push through and continue to read those books that I know will help me grow as a person? Because usually I just end up watching three hours of Shit's Creek before bed. Any thoughts? Thanks.
0: Andrea, what a thoughtful question. And I think one a lot of people are asking right now. We want to make sure we're reading widely. We're reading diversely. We're tackling difficult subject matters and difficult narratives. But it can be hard, I think, especially with pandemic brain and with thoughts that tend toward the anxious. I think sometimes this is tricky. So I appreciate this question. And I do have some recommendations. So the first is a trick that Laura Tremaine has employed. Laura is the author of Share Your Stuff. I'll go first. We had her on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. But she also is an avid reader. And you may have gotten that from the episode she was on. And she frequently will tell her listeners and her followers that one thing that she always does is she reads for 20 minutes in the morning. She, like, that is kind of her habit that she has built into her day, her structure that she has built into her day. So she reads for 20 minutes. So Andrea, I'm laughing because I also binge television shows, but what I have found is I tend to do that in the evening, and I think it's because I've lived an entire day, and sometimes my days are stressful, and so I really don't have much more bandwidth for anything else, and I think it's important to note here that if you're reading books that are about racism or spiritual formation or professional development. Those are books that really require us to be present. And so maybe you're reading these at the wrong time of day. So for Laura, she sets a timer and she reads for 20 minutes. She typically, my understanding is, she does this in the morning. So I'm wondering if in the mornings you could tackle 20 minutes of a nonfiction book. And maybe the goal of reading these nonfiction works isn't so much that, like, you finish these really fast and that you include them in your reading count at the end of the month. Maybe it's that you're truly reading to understand. And when you read to understand, that takes longer. And that is okay. I think we tend to—I don't even think we mean to, but we kind of make reading competitive or we're just desperate to, like, share a book with somebody. And so maybe we want to hurry up and finish— I know that with the work I do at the bookshelf, I tend to want to read books quickly. And what I'm learning this year as I'm trying to read more nonfiction is that books take time. Some books take time. And especially if you really want a book to change you, and if you really want to work on yourself and and, and grow as a person, then I do think some of these books are going to take more time. So I like Laura Tremaine's idea of reading for 20 minutes, and I like Trying to do that in the morning before your day has even begun, I think that this could help. Like kind of switching this rhythm, and then knowing, hey, I get to watch four episodes of Schitt's Creek if I want to, because I've already eaten my vegetables. And and I and I don't mean that in a crass way, because all the books we're talking about—spiritual formation, anti-racism books—those are good books and they're important. And often they're very well written and interesting. Like they're these are not boring works. But I do think they tend, especially if you're a reader who reads a lot of fun rom coms or lighthearted literature, it can feel a little bit more like you're doing your homework or you're, yeah, eating your vegetables. And so maybe try doing that first and then rewarding yourself with metaphorical ice cream later. So switch up when you're reading these and maybe set a timer. And set the timer because, again, the goal maybe isn't to finish this book in one day, the goal is to read 20 pages at a time, or to read five pages and really do a lot of underlining and note-taking and thinking, and you do that for 20 minutes. And that's great. Another tip I have and that I have used is I am not a great audiobook listener, but I do tend to do better with nonfiction. So Cast by Isabel Wilkerson has been on my reading list for a really long time, probably since it came out. And I just have not made the time for it. And I was in the car for a long period of time a couple of weekends ago, so I downloaded the audiobook. And of course, shock to no one, it's outstanding. The audiobook is fantastic. So if there's a book that you've been wanting to read but you haven't been able to make time for... What if you listened to it instead of a podcast? Or what if you listened to it while you took your walk? Or what if you just said, okay, I'm going to listen to this in five-minute snippets every time I'm in the car? And that can be hard, right? Like I think for myself, when an audiobook works for me, it's because I have a long time to listen to it. I'm not great about listening in snippets, just like I'm not always great about reading in snippets. But the important thing here is to get the information and to begin thinking about it. So five minutes is probably better than nothing. So I would really try audiobooks, particularly in nonfiction. I also talked a little bit about homework. I referenced, like, sometimes this can feel like doing your homework. I happen to love homework, so this is a metaphor that works for me. But some books lend themselves to a To looking at them as a workbook. And I think that might help if you're like me and you're trying to read these books at night right before bed. You're done. Like your brain is done. (laughs) And that's okay. Your brain is tired. It's done a lot of work. You're expecting maybe too much. So what if instead maybe on your lunch break – or in those 20 minutes in the morning you do this more workbook in a more workbook format and some of these books again lend themselves to this so i'm thinking specifically of me and white supremacy by Leila saad or recently and i i'm planning to buy myself a copy you can't get it from Indie bookstores, you have to buy it directly through her website. There will be a link in the show notes. But the workbook is Your Allyship Conditional by Faith Brooks. We'll put a link in the show notes. These are books written in workbook format so that you can kind of write your own answers, underline, fill in. I also think a lot of Enneagram books do this. So if maybe that's the direction you're leaning in terms of spiritual development. Right now, I'm working on Erin Moon's Linton Guide and I Got it printed and bound at Kinko's, and that's what I'm doing in the mornings. And I love a book that I can write in, and I like doing it in the morning because I know at night I do not have the brain power to do that. My brain is done <laughs> at about 9 p.m., it's done. So maybe tackling this almost like homework. And again, that might have a negative connotation for you. So you might want to change that. But for me, I really do enjoy homework and I enjoy a task. And so if I look at it as tasking instead of the fun, fluffy reading that I normally do, not that there is not depth to a good rom-com, but I think you know what I'm saying. Like it requires something different of you. It requires a different part of your brain, I think. And so if that's the case, why not really lean into it and get a book that's going to Stretch your creative muscle and require you to read with a pen in hand and really fill in your own answers. So, reading books that are more workbook format. Along these lines, I also want to encourage you it's okay for you to read really fun books that are escapist in nature. And maybe there are different methodologies you can use to get the information you need about anti racist work or about professional development. Or about spiritual formation? Are you listening to podcasts about those things? Are you watching videos about those things? Maybe books aren't the right format for that for you. And I think that's okay. Like, what if when you read, you like to read to escape? As long as you're getting this information about anti racist work, spiritual formation, professional development, as long as you're getting that information from somewhere, I don't know that it has to be in book format. For me, I love reading and I don't mind reading nonfiction, dense nonfiction work, but it's going to take me longer. I'm going to need to be patient with myself and I'm going to need to be comfortable reading one to two pages, at a, not one to two pages, one to two chapters at a time or reading in sections. It might take me a whole year to read something or six months to read something. And sometimes that can be hard for a completionist like me who likes to like knock things out right in the moment. When that happens to me, or when I think, oh no, I've gotten bogged down in this nonfiction book that I cannot finish, the important thing is, am I getting the information? So, are you listening to podcasts that are helping your spiritual growth? Are you watching videos or good movies that might help you be more aware of issues going on in the world? Like, I think as long as you don't have your head buried in the sand, then the format of how you're getting this information may not be as important. So that's just something to remember that like maybe it's okay. And in fact, it is okay that you are reading light literature, but maybe you're getting that information from other places. One final thing, I also just want you to know, I struggle mightily with books about professional development. And I've said this before, like I have probably an entire shelf on my bookcase devoted to professional development books that I have read probably, I don't know, 50 pages of. And then it's like, I feel like I learned what I needed to learn and I'm done, or I got really stressed out and so I put it down. (laughs) One of those two things. And I wanted to just remind podcast listeners, because I do think I've mentioned this before, sometimes the best lessons regarding professional development or also spiritual growth or spiritual formation or anti-racist work can be done in fiction or in other works. So Speaking just specifically about this professional development issue, two of the books that have been most useful to me in terms of managing a team or trying to figure out what kind of boss I wanted to be, one was the book I'll Have What She's Having about Nora Ephron, (laughs) and one is the oral history of the office, like which sounds nuts, but I really did get a lot out of those books in terms of professional development. So you can also glean this information from fiction or from unexpected places, from memoirs. So I don't know. I think it's important to eat your vegetables, to do your homework. There are all kinds and sorts of different ways to do it. And also, I think there are things you could be reading or enjoying, maybe in the fiction realm specifically, because it sounds like that's what you enjoy, or even in the memoir realm that would help you grasp these concepts you're talking about, but maybe it wouldn't feel quite as much like vegetables or homework. I think you can go a couple of different directions here, but I hope that helps, Andrea. And I commend you for asking these questions and for trying, because I think think that's worth something.
1: Hi, Annie. This is Liza. I am from Apollo Beach, Florida. And my question for you is I am looking for a book that will grab me from the very early part of the book. So like something that just hooks me in the very few pages, kind of like a flash in the pan type of gripping novel from the first get-go. That'd be
0: great. Thanks. Hi, Liza. When I heard your message, I immediately thought of Sutton Foster on Younger. I don't know if you watch that show, but her name is Liza. So I think this is a really valid question. And I was going to save it for next time. But then I was like, wait a minute, we're still in the middle of a global pandemic. And I think a lot of readers are asking themselves this. And so I did not want to save it. I wanted to go ahead and talk about it. So I think there are a lot of really good books that kind of grip you from the first page. If you're if you listen to this podcast and you wondered why I started with such a bleak and dark quote, (laughs) then you've waited for this moment. So Celeste Ng is someone who I think is brilliant with gripping you from the first page. I will never forget reading Everything I Never Told You and that first line Lydia is dead. Like, immediately I was like, well, okay, I'm in this now. Like, you're immediately, it's almost like I opened to the middle. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's already something happening. And I think that's really one of the principles at play here. All of these books that I'm going to mention are all, you're just as the reader immediately thrust into a dark or scary or intense or emotionally intense situation. These are books that are already, like, the action is already developing, and you're kind of being thrown into the middle of it as the reader. So Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng, but also Little Fires Everywhere, I think really, truly, she is a master at this. The book that I, it comes to mind all the time, and I am sorry to say, I think it is hard to find in print. I think it is still in print, but it is hard to find, so you might want to check at your library, is Everybody Rise by Stephanie Clifford. This book is about a girl who makes – or a young woman who makes so many horrific decisions. But just immediately the setting of this book kind of drew me in. She's graduated from college. She's living in New York City, and she's trying to lead the high life, but she can't really afford it. And I just remember not wanting to stop reading while cooking. So, like, I was stirring with a book in my hand, which I never do. And I think that's a good sign. So I think that's what you're looking for, right, is a book that you really don't want to put down. And I think – Right now, that means even more than ever because our attention spans, I feel like, are are all over the place. Maybe I'll only speak for mine. But I do think that these books that kind of grip you immediately are really important for your reading life, for my reading life right now. This Close to Okay by Lisa Cross-Smith. I've not read her other books, but this one I dove into on a Monday and just read the whole thing because immediately, like on page one, and sometimes when— Olivia and I do New Release Tuesday podcasts. We talk about, like, from page one, these are no spoilers. So anytime you hear somebody say, like, no spoilers, this happens immediately, I think when a lot is happening at the beginning of a book, that generally lets you know, oh, this is probably pretty gripping from the get-go. So this close to okay, the female protagonist finds a guy on a bridge about to jump off Which sounds horrific, it is horrific. And she talks him down off the ledge and they spend a weekend together, kind of helping each other heal. This book takes place over a weekend, so that's another plus in my opinion. Like you, can, you are guaranteed a lot of traction in a book that only takes place over a couple of days. But you're immediately, once again, thrown right into the action. There is really not a ton of immediate character development instead that takes place throughout the novel. And you're just kind of thrust into the plot right from page one. Room by Emma Donahue, Brown Girl Dreaming by Jacqueline Woodson. This might seem like an outlier because it is overall A quieter book, like it is not this kind of bombastic thriller or on the edge of your seat book like room, but immediately the poetry just sets you in motion. And so, if you are looking for a book that you can kind of go with lyrically, I think a poetic book or a book told in verse is a really good way to start. And Brown Girl Dreaming does that. Before the Fall by Noah Hawley, Dear Edward by Anne Napolitano. I thought. Oh, all my like like Vacation Gone Wrong books or both those books that I just mentioned are plane accident books, like <laughs> which just is a weird thing to say aloud. But I think books where there is something happening at the very beginning, like like the climactic moment is actually at the beginning of the book. That's what you're looking for. The other place I do think you might find this and Brown Girl Dreaming hinted at it is young adult or middle grade literature, right? These books are designed to grab people's attention from the very beginning. Kids want to be mesmerized, right? They want to be sucked in. And so I think you could try your hand at some young adult lit too or middle grade lit to really ease yourself into this. And then I don't think necessarily it would have to be a thriller or a suspense novel like a lot of the ones I just mentioned are. I do think Everybody Rise, This Close to Okay, Brown Girl Dreaming, those are less thriller feeling. And I think young adult lit, you could really do a lot of different genres because those books, once again, are designed to be propulsive and to be compulsively readable. Liza, I hope that helps. Okay, I want to close with these last two questions. I paired them together on purpose, and I'm going to try to answer them relatively quickly because we're drawing near to the end of the episode. But let's take a listen.
1: Hi, Annie. It's Noelle from Maryland, and I'm calling because I have a bit of a problem. Every time I see a read-along on Bookstagram, I get so excited, and I get the book, and I dive in, and then I remember that I'm already part of a thousand other read-alongs, and I have to read books for my book club, and I want to read books with my kids, and then sometimes I just like to read what I want to read because I am ultimately a mood reader. So I was wondering how you resist the temptation to join every read along you see because it's really hard. I want to I want to be a part of them all. Thanks so much. Bye. Hey Annie, it's Bridget from North Palm Beach, Florida calling in with a question about overhyped books. So normally I love getting recommendations from various podcasts or blogs or friends and this past year for the first time ever I read three or four books that were highly recommended and kind of just everywhere. And I didn't like them. And normally, if I hear about a book that someone with similar reading tastes liked, I usually like it as well. But for the first time ever, I had like three or four books that were just meh or okay to me. And it was really sad and kind of a big letdown. So how do you avoid that? And what do you do if you do feel like a book has been overhyped? Or how do you watch for books that have been overhyped?
0: Okay, Noelle and Bridget, I combined your questions, even though maybe at first they didn't seem related, because I actually think they are. What I think you're talking about are things that you see on Bookstagram or that you hear in podcasts or that you see happening. And I think there's a little bit of, and I'm so sorry for saying this, FOMO. Like, I think there's some FOMO here. And I wanted to encourage you to try a tip that I learned from the lazy genius, Kendra Adachi. She wrote the book, The Lazy Genius Way. But this is a tip I learned from her on Instagram or on her podcast. I actually don't know that it's included in her book. But she encourages you to find an expert. So find an expert, not find a dozen experts, (laughs) not find five experts. She really tells you, find an expert. Find somebody you trust. Find one person whose reading tastes you trust. I admit that I do this with more than one person, but I have a couple of people, most of whom I'm trying to think, both of whom I have met in real life or I am in relationship with them in my real actual life. Not that there's anything wrong with internet relationships, but like I know these people and so I know their book recommendations are 100% for me. One of those people is Hunter, who you'll hear on the podcast pretty frequently. I know that I can ask him, hey, will I like this book? And he will say, oh my gosh, yes, I think you're going to love this book. Or he'll say, you know, I don't know if it's for you, but I think you should try it. Like he's the kind of friend who will encourage me to step outside my comfort zone and step outside my reading boundaries, but he'll also prepare me for that. He'll like let me know, you know, I don't know if it's for you, but I think you should try it. And so I'll try it. I think, Bridget, that would especially work for you because it sounds like, and I, my personality type is such that I am automatically wary of hyped books, which is unfortunate working in the book selling industry <laughs> because overhyped books often are justifiably being hyped. Uh, I do think, I'm not always, but, but I do think there is often a reason they are being hyped. And sometimes that reason has to do with marketing. (laughs) And sometimes that reasoning has to do with it being a really wonderful, well-written book. So my personality, I kind of have to check and say, okay, am I wary of this book just because of the hype or because of my cynicism? Like, why am I wary of this? It sounds like you've, Bridget, kind of been burned. And so I would really try to ask yourself, who are my people? Who are my readers? I really, truly know I can trust. And maybe it's somebody in your real life, maybe it's a podcast, but like find a person or two, a reader or two who you know I can trust them. And I might even ask them, like, what do you think about this overhyped book, whichever book you're thinking of, and see what they say. And if their opinion is in line with yours, then maybe there's somebody whose reading taste you know is really similar to yours. Maybe their opinion is different from yours, but it's thoughtful and well-spoken and you can understand, oh, okay, that's why they liked that. Okay, I'm glad I asked. Like, I think these are valuable questions to ask because you also don't want like a reading twin and a reading mentor are two different things, right? Like a reading twin is somebody whose tastes are totally, like the Venn diagram is a circle. I tend to like somebody like Hunter where our Venn diagrams are are overlapping quite a bit, but not entirely. I don't want it to be a total circle because I do want Hunter to tell me books that maybe might be outside my comfort zone, but he's going to encourage me to read them. So I don't want my, I don't want my reading expert who I'm following to be a total and complete circle with me. Does that make sense? And then Noelle, your question about buddy reading was so interesting to me, or read-alongs, I think was the word you used, because I really limit, at least on my personal Instagram, how many book reviewers or bookstagrammers I'm following. I do that for a few reasons, partly because truly so many books, so little time. Like (laughs) that's how my life kind of is. But also because I don't want to quote somebody accidentally. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't want to bring that to the podcast or to my personal life or to my reading life without like knowing, oh wait, who said that? Where did that come from? Where'd that part of my brain? So like I try to really limit how many bookstagrammers or fellow readers I'm following just for my own sake and to make sure I'm not accidentally plagiarizing their hard work. So my response is what are your real life friends reading or like is there a group who you really enjoy spending time with on Instagram and maybe those read alongs you pay attention to but everyone else you you're able to tell your brain that looks fun but not for me right now. Like like for example, I am reading a read I think a read-along that I am doing right now is Middle March by Conquer uh, by Conqueror Classic. By From the Front Porch by the bookshelf. Like we're we're doing that. We're doing that read-along together. Hunter is doing it with me. This is a book I've wanted to read. Hunter has wanted to read it, so we decided to conquer it together this year. So that's the only read-along I'm doing this year. I I am incapable of doing doing more more than that this year. I may do book clubs. I may do recommendations from friends. It sounds like you have kids you might take recommendations from. That's fine. But bogging yourself down with so many different read-alongs I think would be hard. So my advice to you is the same as it is to Bridget, which is find one or two read-alongs that you know you're going to do or that you want to keep abreast of. Maybe you don't want to read Middlemarch this year. This is just an example. No pressure. But maybe you don't want to read Middlemarch this year. But you do kind of want to keep up with the progress of the people who are reading it. Okay, that's fine. Just have your brain say the Amy Polar line, good for them, not for me. And like, that's great. Or good for them right now, good for me later. But I do think Find one or two groups where you want to read along with them, but but limit yourself because we're finite people. We're, we're finite beings. And so you can only read so many things. And so find one or two groups or people that you trust. And I would make sure, even though, again, the internet is great and I love the internet and I love all the friends I've made on it, I also think making sure you're doing read alongs, I'm using air quotes, read alongs, book clubs conversations about books with people you know in real life. I think this is important because conversation is so important. And I think over the past 12 months, it's been hard to have actual in-person face-to-face conversations. You know, we're doing those on Zoom or we're having them over the phone or on Voxer all of which is great. But there's something about an in-person or a face-to-face conversation, and I think that is often best done with people you actually know. So find a couple of people or book groups on Instagram that you love and you want to follow along with their read-alongs, but also really, and it sounds like you have some great readers in your real life, I would really listen to them and read along with them because I think those conversations may be some of the most rewarding. I think the the conversations I'm having with the people I know in real life, like my dad, my brother, and I all read The Cross and the Lynching Tree, or I read Jesus and John Wayne, then passed it on to my dad, and now my aunt's reading it. Like, we are having really great conversations about these books. I didn't necessarily read along with them. Like, we read them at a different pace. And- I didn't necessarily read along with a couple of people on the internet who I really love who were doing read-alongs, but I didn't do the read-along with them because I knew I'm going to read this at my pace and then I'm going to have a conversation with somebody I love about this stuff. And I think that can be really valuable. I don't want to deter you from doing read-alongs. I'm just encouraging you follow along on the internet, do fun read-alongs, but also read along with people in your real life too. So that's my advice to you, Noelle, and to you, Bridget. And that's it. That wraps up this edition of Literary Therapy. Again, if you have a literary or bookish conundrum or problem, I would love to hear it and I'd love to try to help. You can leave those at fromthefrontporchpodcast.com forward slash contact. From the Front Porch is a weekly podcast production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in South Georgia. You can follow The Bookshelf's daily happenings on Instagram at BookshelfTville, and all the books from today's episode can be purchased online through our store website, www.bookshelfthomasville.com. A full transcript of today's episode can be found at fromthefrontporchpodcast.com. Special thanks to Dylan and his team at Studio D Production for sound and editing, and for our theme music, which sets the perfect warm and friendly tone for our Thursday conversations. This week, I'm reading Crying in H-Mart by Michelle Zahner. If you liked what you heard on today's episode, tell us by leaving a review on iTunes. Or if you're so inclined, support us on Patreon, where you can hear our staff's weekly new release Tuesday conversations, read full book reviews in our monthly Shelf Life newsletter, Follow along as Hunter and I conquer a classic and receive free media mail shipping on all your online book orders. Just go to patreon.com forward slash from the front porch. We're so grateful for you and we look forward to meeting back here next week.